I'm Corey Lee Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shape both the past and present, and as actors, we will look at how his work was performed throughout various periods of time. All while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare anyone? Hello listeners, this is Corey. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Love This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched two bonus episodes. One is an extension of our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and early modern trans studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, head to patreon.com slash Shakespeare anyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of your support you give us and the podcast. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Elise. Hi, Corey. How's it going? It's going very well. I can't believe that we're at the end of another year of Shakespeare Anyone, honestly. I can't either. It feels like it went by in a flash. Yeah. This year has been so wild and wonderful, and I can't wait to get into year three um, mm -hmm. and see where we go next. But first, let's revisit our two plays from this year, shall we? We shall. Let's start where we started, 2022 with King Lear. Okay. It's been a minute since we read at least since i read the play mm -hmm. uh, the first thing i noticed is this read was so much quicker and easier than rereading hamlet <laughs> yeah yeah i like really appreciated maybe because we just got out of hamlet i really appreciated act one scene three i think it is where it's just goneril and um her servant and it is a teeny tiny scene and i was like wow how refreshing Yes, and so fewer soliloquies and other large pieces of text to sift through, which it moves, it, yeah. Yeah, it moves a lot quicker than Hamlet. Let's see. 
One of the big things that I really was thinking about in this reread was the word nothing. Mm. I don't know about you, but I saw the word nothing everywhere. Everyone talked about nothing. Interesting. Yeah. This word comes up 34 times in the play. Wow. Yeah. The conflict with Lear and his daughters starts with nothing. Yeah, nothing will come of nothing. Exactly. And Edmund calls the letter he's putting away nothing, and Gloucester demands to see this nothing, which I thought was a nice theme for the play. Um, And also, Edmund says this word, Gloucester, like I said, Lear, Kent, the fool, obviously Cordelia. So I don't know what to do with that information, but it was just something that I noticed. Yeah. I had a few things that I noticed and paid attention to this time around like that, where I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, Mm -hmm. but it's in there a lot. The first one, I think we briefly talked about this in another episode, but papers. Mm. We talked about it uh, with Arthur Frank of just like papers and letters and documents and how many are in this play. Mm -hmm. It's really a a play about paperwork. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then going along with that, there's a lot of talk about eyes, reading, being able to truly see someone, and Mm -hmm. then on the inverse of that, disguise, deceit, like not being able to see correctly what's in front of you, and then eventually learning how to see correctly. Yeah. Lear in Act 1, Scene 4, I wrote down this line because it stuck out to me in the same way of like eyes and all of that being like really prevalent in this play. Mm-hmm. old fond eyes beweep this cause again i'll pluck ye out he says in the first yeah. act yeah yeah i picked up that line too where i was like that feels like foreshadowing gloucester's end mm-hmm. i've kind of picked up on it before because gloucester's end is so obvious of like eyes are a thing sight is a thing but this time around it was like whoa this is constant eye imagery mm-hmm Another thing I'm really interested in with this one, um, and this is because I this year have uh, become more aware of this academic Carson Brocky. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. And the idea of hospitality in early modern drama mm-hmm. and the like dark underbelly of hospitality in early modern drama, which we see in this play in, you know, how Goneril and Regan treat Lear when he's a guest in their home, although he's not like a super welcome guest. He's imposing himself. Right. But like specifically with Regan and Cornwall and how in their house they commit this act of violence to somebody who is visiting. Yeah. But then some of the most hospitality we see is in like poor Tom's hovel. Hovel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Through the lens of hospitality, what is this play? Like what's happening there? Yeah, I picked up on that too. I picked up on how so much of the conflict in addition to obviously the political influence of the kingdom being you know divided and blah 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 i noticed too that so much of what irks most of these characters is how to treat guests and how to be a guest like hospitality is such a mm-hmm. giant part of the conflict mm-hmm. and that would be really interesting to like look at hospitality from an early modern standpoint because when i think of hospitality in a pre-modern world i'm mostly thinking of like in the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I don't really know a whole lot about early modern hospitality. So that could greatly change the dynamic of these family members yeah. and these other noble people. Yeah. And what I've learned from following 
Parsons work is just like there is that expectation and then there's in early modern theater there's there's this like dark inversion of like hosting gone wrong we saw it in Macbeth we saw it in Macbeth he does it in Titus to like the biggest degree yeah yeah we'll get to that soon enough we'll get to that at some point <laughs> and so I was just like I see that in this too that the dynamic of host and guest is because of Lear being father and king not king that line between host and guest is so blurred, much like it is in Macbeth with the king and the host of like, what is the power dynamic here? This is a undercurrent that is going all the way through this play. Mm, I love that. Uh, one thing that I did read a little bit about in the year of Lear, and this was after we wrapped up our Lear series, was unification. Mm -hmm. This play was first performed, written and first performed around the time that King James was arguing in Parliament to unify England and Scotland. Oh, yeah. And you can read the unification that King James was pushing for. And like, what does it mean to be a unified kingdom? When is it better to divide your kingdom? And that did come up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, we could have covered unification because that was something that was going on in Shakespeare's England. Yeah, super interesting. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about, because this play doesn't give us the history of these characters before the start of the play, mm -hmm. aside from like mm -hmm. a few characters mentioning, well, now he's getting old, so he's his uh, reasonable side has gone out the window. You know, we don't really get mm -hmm. a lot of backstory on these characters. Yeah. And so as I was reading, I was thinking from the side of a like director about like how do you make these decisions when talking with the actors and saying like this is who your character was before the play starts and because all of these characters go through transformation and identity is mm -hmm. something that is constantly brought up right we get very little on them at all mhm mm speaking of transformation one other thing that we talked about it with Arthur Frank and then i want to continue to look at it this way in this play, we have two kings who both go through the same sort of transformation in the storm and seeing Edgar as a parallel to Lear, mm -hmm. someone who is who does not choose to lose everything. Lear chooses to give away his power and then surrounds himself with his uh, knights and um, chooses to go out in the storm. Mm hmm. But Edgar does not, that choice is thrust upon him by his brother who tricks him and his father. Yeah. And they both end up in the same place, unrecognizable from who they were at the beginning of the play. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the play, we have a King Lear who has realized through this experience what he didn't realize he hadn't done, like how he has not taken care. Right. However, with Edgar, we have a young king who has already been through this. Mm -hmm. I think so often when I see this play done or I hear people talk about this play, they see kind of like everyone but Lear as consistent and like not mm. changing over the course of the play. And I think I'd really love to find the moments where each of these characters switches. Right. I bet working on a production, we could even find it for Cornwall. Yeah. 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 That little tiny moment where he is shifted. Yeah. And becomes what he ends up as. Yeah, the monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Every single character pretty much 
does transform. Like this Mm -hmm. is a play about identity. It's about suffering, but it's also about identity and transformation. So that would be super cool to produce a play that focuses on that. Yeah. So those are our final thoughts on Lear. Mm -hmm. Now, we just spent a lot of time on Hamlet. (laughs) Yeah. And Hamlet is a very long play. Yes. So we may have fewer closing thoughts. Yeah. I will be quite honest. Our series, Not to Toot Our Own Horns, covered so much that as I was reading this like five-hour play, I was like, oh, yeah, we've discussed this. We've discussed this. This is already this has already been sent out into, you know, listener land. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me returning to it, both in like our rewatchings and rereading it, is just how much more I enjoy uh, the Fortinbras stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of I think the biggest difference for me is that I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited when Horatio is like, this ghost is because Fortinbras is coming. Yeah. And I like a more a more Horatio-centric production, I think. I was thinking about Horatio as well in this read. Yeah. I wrote in my notes that, to me, from most of the exposure I've had to Hamlet, Horatio is this kind of enigma. Mm-hmm. And that might not be wholly correct, but I, I view him as this enigma where, like, he... Why is he here? Yeah, wh- what, is what is he, he doing? doing here? Yeah. He, is, he is Hamlet's schoolmate. Why has he left Wittenberg to come to Denmark? Aside from move plot along. Yeah. And we talked about Horatio before as this person who's so set in his understanding of the world. Like, this is the science behind X, Y, and Z. But he's just a college-aged student who has had his his philosophy totally shaken. And I wish that, like, leaning into the ghost story, we got more of Horatio, like, experiencing the ghost. Yes leaning into the ghost story the spookiness of this play and whether or not other people can see the ghost seeing a ghost is weird i think one thing that i i was like i want to see more of this is just like because i I think it's in there is the reactions that people have to the ghost to death in this play in general death is natural but ghosts and like the way people are behaving around death is not and it freaks other people out and right to me i was like yeah this is scary this is spooky and like it's so uneasy and i would really like to um see a production that makes me feel uneasy because things are creepy because there's suspense not i'm uneasy because i'm uncomfortable with what i'm watching yeah i spent a lot of this time the time in this read thinking about ophelia and her place in this play Mm -hmm. and i thought a lot about how hamlet and ophelia do not have to be what we usually see Right. And how much better it would be if maybe in like, what is it, one, two, Ophelia is incorporated into Hamlet's life on stage before the antic disposition. Mm -hmm. So that when, even if it's minor, because she doesn't have lines. I mean, she talks to Laertes about Hamlet and she talks to Polonius about Hamlet, but we don't see the two of them until the breakup. Yeah. And it would serve Hamlet and Ophelia and their breakup scene to establish them and what they were before he started being antic, before his antic disposition. Mm-hmm. And before Claudius. Yeah. Before she ghosted him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pun not intended. Brunch. I would like to see a Hamlet, and I mean this as actor character, who cares as much about Ophelia and his relationship with Ophelia as I typically see productions give to the relationship between 
Hamlet and Horatio. Yeah. Whatever you want to make of Hamlet and Horatio's relationship, I find that it often comes at a sacrifice of the Hamlet-Ophelia relationship or Ophelia and Hamlet don't really love each other. And it's just, and it's like, uh, where, where are you yeah. reading that? Yeah. Because Claudius says it? Exactly. Hamlet specifically wrote in a letter to Ophelia that no matter what other contradictions are in the world, mm -hmm. he loves her. Like he wrote that. Yeah. And he wrote that before he was antic. Yes, exactly. He wrote that before she invited him into her private chambers. So like this all happens before the start of the play. Yeah. And so perhaps in 3-1, he's being rude to her because she broke up with him and he didn't want them to break up. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't understand why they're breaking up. And over the course of that scene, he starts to understand that she has to choose between her dad and him and she's choosing her dad right now. And that's what makes him unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I also was thinking about how maybe all of his sexist, misogynistic lines in 3-1 are not about her. Right. Maybe she's just in the room and like she, he, you know, he does refer to her, but maybe he's not actually talking about her. And so then that would aid in that conversation we had about, oh, what a noble mind is your throne, where she's reacting to like his state of being rather than like she just mm -hmm. got attacked and. And now she, she sympathizes with him. Exactly. He also expresses those things about his mother. We can't ignore that language, but it can be more general instead of directed at an individual. And I mean, ultimately, I just don't think that because you have a character who has misogynist language, you have to enact violence on stage against a character that's a woman. Right. And when we do have a character throwing hands at another character, we have another character mm -hmm. saying, hey, get your hands off me. Right. Those are stage directions that he was giving his actors. And we acknowledge that for so many other plays. But this scene, I'm, I got a little heated, <laughs> but this scene specifically seems to remain a punching bag for the misogyny that we deal with today. And instead of investigating that misogyny and going, that's not what's actually written, um, we allow it to continue to play out on stage and perpetuate the harm that exists in these plays. Yeah. I don't know if I said this in the last episode. My challenge to theater makers producing Hamlet, try doing that scene with no physical contact between those two characters. Hamlet mm -hmm. and Ophelia do not touch each other. Yes. <laughs> try Maybe that. approach it like you approach every other scene from the point of what is the relationship here. Mm -hmm. We have enough scenes of Hamlet being antic. He also tells us when he's antic, and that is not something he tells us in this scene. Right. At the end of the day, we've got two more hours to root for him mm -hmm. yeah i also thought a lot about ophelia's speech and how claudius literally pieces together ophelia's speech after mm -hmm. she is exited so right these characters understand her at least claudius does he, yeah he and gertrude piece together what she's talking about yeah maybe laertes didn't but that's because laertes was in france laertes was in france also he has a little bit more reason to be distraught because he's just come in and he was not expecting to see his sister this way. They know right. she's been acting like this. Yes. Oh, this is so technical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like producer view of it. But when you're a producer, you have to think of like how you're going to double roles. And a lot of the reasons why Fortinbras is cut is because you have no one to double him. And I was like, couldn't. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern 
Dub one of, one them, of them, I think. So my thought is they leave for England, right? Mm-hmm. We never see them again, but there's been two nope. of them this whole time. We get one scene with Fortinbras early. They could both be the grave diggers. One of the grave diggers mm-hmm. disappears after a while. And uh, that one can go in as Osric. And then the first grave digger can come back as Fortinbras, potentially. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. And especially because it'd be nice to keep all of that in. Because I was thinking about the last, like one of the last things that Fortinbras says is Hamlet proved most royal. And I'm thinking like, why is he so royal? And then it's like, oh, he purged Denmark of the usurper. I mean, it's messy. But mm-hmm. like the politics yeah. is such a vital part of this play that you should keep Fortinbras in. Yes. Yes. Anyway, that's it for Hamlet. And that's about it for this year. Yeah, a whole other year. Now, admittedly, this year was two pretty heavy plays. Mm-hmm. So you'll find out what our next play is in two weeks. But here's a hint. It's a comedy. Mm-hmm. We'd be an ass if we gave it away too early. So thank you for listening to another year of Shakespeare Anyone. I'm Corey Lee Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here is a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From King Henry V, Act 5, Scene 2, spoken by French King. Nor this I have not, brother, so denied, but your request shall make me let it pass.